WSUM Madison Studios. It's Do It Live, hosted by the Do It Geeks. Today's topic is networking, how to get all that internet to all of your devices, and the new hotness that is IPv6. Joining us in studio from Do's Networking Group, Dale Carter, along with today's geeks, Teresa Saldana, Adam Wiesenfarth, and Jesse LeGrew. And now, broadcasting live and local on 91.7 FM and streaming worldwide on WSUM.org. Let's welcome today's geeks, Teresa, Jesse, and Adam. And welcome to Do It Live. My name is Adam. It's a beautiful day right here in Madison, Wisconsin. 39.8 degrees, 2.08 p.m. And we're here to talk tech with everybody, so... Um, we, we're here to have a chat about all of our fabulous network that we've got here on campus with Dale Carter. Dale, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? Excellent. Good to have you in studio. And Teresa Saldana is kindly fitting, excuse me, filling in as our <laughs> guest geek today. So how are you doing, Teresa? I'm doing just fine. Excellent. Thanks for, for coming in and chatting with us today. We really do appreciate it. Oh, sure. No problem. So as always, we like to start off our lovely show here with the news with Mr. Jesse LeGrew. How are you doing today, Jesse? Oh, wonderful. I'm, I'm very glad you finally asked me. Yeah, well, we're here to help <laughs> as much as we can. So what's going on news today, Jesse? Uh, uh, maybe not today, but uh, yesterday, um, the announcement for the new iPad, iPad version 2, it's Ooh. been something that uh, a lot of people have been excited about. Um, so they released at least uh, what this iPad 2 is going to be. Um, they don't ship out until the 11th, um, but many people are kind of excited about it. Uh, other people have some mixed feelings. The 11th of March, you say? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. We like to clarify these things, just to be sure. And we have Teresa in here, and she actually watched all of the festivities that went along with this. So can you tell us a little bit more about what's new and great in the iPad version 2? Sure. So I was watching the live blog updates on Engadget, uh, where they upload, uh, you know, text. They send in text updates from people that are actually at the event, and they upload pictures. It used to be on IRC, which was kind of hilarious. So, uh, a couple things that came up about the iPad were that it now comes in black and white, unlike the iPhone 4, the most recent iPhone, where they could not release a white one. And the new one is 33% thinner than the old one. It weighs 1.3 pounds versus 1.5. And it's got forward and back-facing camera. That, and that it, was really the key thing that we were missing, I think, in the iPad. You so, think so? Good job, Steve Jobs, for <laughs> putting that in there. We appreciate that. And then uh, a new, well, I don't want to call it a feature, but product that Apple came out for the iPad was a new case. Well, it's more like a cover, I guess. But uh, and it comes in all different colors, and it's it has magnets built in so that when you put the case on, the iPad goes to sleep, and when you take the case off, the iPad wakes up. Do you know how many different varieties of iPad we're going to have to stock at the tech store now? Oh, I don't know. Eighteen. <gasps> because we're doing not only the Wi-Fi-only version ones, but we're uh-huh. also doing the 
AT&T 3G And ones, then the Verizon ones. And Verizon CDMA ones. Oh, okay. Two colors, three sizes. So nine times two is 18. Wow. I know. I found that out at our marketing meeting today. <laughs> so Good that, thing they're smaller. That's right. So that's great. Um, what else do we have going on this week in news, Jesse? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else is there besides what, what Apple announces? What else yeah, is there? That's well, right. I mean, the one thing I think, uh, at least about the iPad, one thing I was definitely surprised about was the uh, non no Thunderbolt. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were talking about this a little earlier in our pre-show because um, Thunderbolt would be a great way to get stuff on and off of this iPad because it's either 16, 32, 64 gigs, which is not uh, a negligible amount of space, and it's not all that unoften that you have to wipe off your whole iPad and start from scratch. So it would make sense to have that in there, but when we were talking, it might be too fast to tool up. Jesse argues that they, they have plenty of time to tool up and do whatever they want to do to put these things in there. So. Well, I mean, if they can uh, make a release with a, a new product like the MacBook Pro and put Thunderbolt on, um, they could probably work in parallel and work yeah. on the iPad. Maybe they already have been, but it wasn't ready to release. It, but it, it is Intel chips versus A4, A5 chips, too. So there might be a little difference there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so... so yeah, you, enough about the iPad. Yeah, what, what, do you have anything else that you'd like to chat about today in news? Well, this is great. Uh, infected Android apps. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, this is, I guess, kind of a conversation, too, that brings Apple into this a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but it was applications um, from the Android market um, that people downloaded, and they had found uh, 21 malware-infected applications. Oops. Aye, aye, aye. Um, it would be able to, you know, get your contact information, uh, other information on your device. Um, it was from a... Uh, the, the virus was called, or the malware was called Droid Dream. Um, and it was for a specific set of applications made by one vendor. And it basically was an application that was um, put out there, um, but somebody had re-released it with this um, wonderful piece of software. That sounds less than ideal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's not the greatest, and uh, Google was able to take that off the devices. They kind of have a remote remove app um, from their uh, location, so kind of a kill switch. I'm going to just take this off if there's an issue. Um, Apple has the same thing, so you can actually uh, recall an app and just take it off the device if you need it. Um, and some other companies have actually stated that there probably are over 51 apps at the moment um, that have this potential issue. Um, and this is, you know, this is a big question, too, even with, uh, you know, iTunes, um, Apple, um, Android or BlackBerry, wherever you're getting your applications. You know, Apple has a very strict um, way of getting applications out there so people can download them. Uh, it's possible with that kind of oversight with these applications as well. It, it may have helped. And this mm -hmm. was, a, you know, an un you know, moderated app store. They do have applications they actually go through and approve. Right. Um, this was not that case. And I, I remember when the, the whole kill switch for the iPhone came out a little while ago, there was a lot of controversy about that. But there's a good reason, really, to have that, because if you have these rogue apps going around, it's pretty nice to have something at the very base OS level that says, no, let's not let this run. We have decided it is bad, and it should not be run. And I think that's a really smart move and, and probably something that the Android folks should think about moving in there, or at least something that a cell phone provider would add on as a part of their software, I would think. Yeah, and I think in this case it did work out well for uh, Google to have this available on the phones because they're able to, you know, we don't really care about what you're doing, but now that you have an issue on your phone, we can actually take it off. Um, and this wasn't um, an issue with the latest... Uh, um, Android update. If you had the latest Android update, um, it wasn't an issue. So it was really an issue for out-of-date phones, um, but the code flaw wasn't there. Hmm. Excellent. 
Well, um, I think we should move on to do some other stuff since we started a little bit behind today. Uh, but Dale Carter's in the studio. He's with Do It Networking, and he's going to tell us a little bit later about all sorts of things. Or try to. Try to, at least. <laughs> tell us how we're going to get all of our internet everywhere that we need to go. Um, but first, we're going to do a, a little something else, I believe. The newest segment on our show, it's called... Dale, can you help us out here? Awesome. Dude. Or lame. Oh. There we go. So this is the time when you call us up. You call us up right now at 608-515-8768. That's 608-515-8768. We want to know about a technology that you have used in the last week that is either awesome or lame. And for the guests that we have in studio here, it's a little bit harder because we only give them something that they've used within the last 24 hours. So it could be like the new automatic cash register at your favorite supermarket or, or anything else like that. So um, on the phone with us, we have our travel correspondent, our Stuart Essman, Nate Harrison. Nate, how you doing, sir? Good. I'm out in uh, the beautiful Rogue Valley of Medford, Oregon, where it's uh, raining and 47 today. Oh, wow. Well, um, well, we'll have to check the weather here later a little bit when I can get my website going. But um, so you have a new technology, I understand, right? I have a new toy. This it is the new Touch Me 4G. <laughs> what? No. Oh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a Stuart Essman. I, I always have to go to the airport when I go to work. It's not the Touch Me 4G. That's what TSA uses. <laughs> what, what do you actually have? The My Touch 4G. And who is that with? Is that with T-Mobile, correct? It is. It's an Android-based phone that uh, HTC actually makes. They don't tell you that. And so what was the, the main impetus for you getting this phone? The annoying call. That goes, the annoying um. A commercial that they run that goes dun da da dun da da dun da da dun, you know. No, I don't know. So let me. You've never seen the uh, HTC ads that do that horrible segment over and over. Oh, no, no. So that's, let, that's let, not why though. Let me rephrase my question. What technologically drove you to get this phone? I'm on the go all the time, and uh, I you are a traveling correspondent, after all. That's right. I'm a stewardessman. I needed something that worked everywhere, and this is a, a bunch of new features that are absolutely fantastic. It's really good for social networking and personalization, which I don't use much for. Mm -hmm. I'm not on the face space of the Twitter tube, like uh, all the kids. The, the but, twit uh, face? That's exactly the one. But it's 4G, and it's got video chat right on the network, so you don't even need to be on Wi-Fi. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to try that out sometime. Yeah, yeah. It's got uh, Messenger, if you have that, Quick, or uh, there's some other apps out there if you have, um, like, iPhones, Mac-type products. And I know you were looking at tethering, too, as one of the big things with this phone. And that, that's something that, Dale, you know a little bit about, right? I know it costs more, usually. <laughs> yeah, usually so it does. That's right. It usually does cost more. This thing, though, has uh, something besides tethering. It's not any extra on your plan. It's called Mobile Hotspot. Your phone mm. actually becomes a wireless router anywhere. Wow. How, how many things can you hook up to it? Uh, four. You just, you just once you set it up, you just turn it on. Up to four people can get in there. And again, you know, I'm... These places, like these hotels, you ever had hotel Wi-Fi? I mean... Some of it is not great, I will tell you. At the Super 6 or the Motel 8, yes. It's, uh, you know, people with their viruses are on there and you can't log on. Or sometimes we have 60-hour delays in the airport. I know it's hard to believe. Do you guys have VPN there. at all? Virtual private networking? Uh, that I'm not sure, actually. Right, Dale, we have that, though. That's, that's a good thing to use when you're on the road, right? Yep, keeps you away from all those bad guys. Yeah, that's something we should talk about probably in another upcoming show. So does the tethering work out okay? It does. It's not actually tethering, though, because you don't pay extra and you don't need a cord. Again, it's wireless. It's oh. awesome. It's, it's 4G, so I use it at home, like on the laptop and the desktop even. And, you know, it's not DSL or cable modem fast, but it's pretty wicked. What's the range on that? 
Uh, I haven't, yeah, I haven't even tested it. It goes all throughout my lovely, uh, lovely appointed 700 square foot condo <laughs> in Denver. But beyond that, I don't know. But be careful though. If you like to stream a lot, you guys have Netflix subscriptions or something similar. Mm-hmm. There's a data limit, yeah. isn't there? Yes, unlimited with almost all the carriers now is five gigs. Yeah, which means if you're on Netflix this month, you can stream Shawshank Re and next month Demption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in, in fact, let's debunk some myths here because that's part of what we like to do on the show. When they say that you get unlimited data with your cell phone plan, uh, the carriers are really not telling you the truth. You pretty much always have a limit, and most of them it is five gigabytes of data per month. Right, Dale? Unless you have an old plan. Some of the older plans, like my iPhone, I've got it locked into an unlimited data plan. That's really And that's nice. why I'm going to carry this old iPhone until I die. <laughs> Or you just get a new one and you have them transfer it and, and you don't tell them to change anything on your plan. I don't know. Will they? Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah, they have to, I believe. Remember, most phones are free now with a 16-year contract. That's right. <laughs> All right, Nate, thanks so much for joining us on well, Awesome. One more thing about it, though. Yeah. Knowing that I have net zero dialogue. Nice. We should probably try and explain a little bit because uh, what Nate is pretty much using is he's got a sort of a wireless hotspot like you'd normally have in a building or a coffee shop or in the airport, your standard wireless connection that you can hook up your computer or your smartphone or any other sort of connected wireless device. It, basically, he has that in his phone, and it uses the cellular connection, for lack of a better word, to do all of that data transfer. And so he can just have a little mini wireless access point wherever he goes and has his phone. And um, But what else do you have going on with it, NATO? Uh, well, it's also got a TV app. It's got swipe. When you're entering data, on, it's a, it's a touchscreen. Mm-hmm. You don't have to hit each letter. You can just keep your finger on the screen. So, as you know, I'm a stewardess, but I don't like to lift a finger, especially in short flights like Madison, Chicago. So that's perfect for me. 25 and, whole minutes. <laughs> and again, back to security, uh, it's got WEP, WPA, WPA2 to keep you know everything locked in. Well, thanks, NATO. That's great. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah, Nate, Nate Harrison, our traveling correspondent, on the phone with us. And so then we have to go over to Dale Carter. And, and do you have some technology you'd like to chat about in Awesome or Lame here? Well, I thought about it. And had you asked me two weeks ago what Twitter was for, I yeah. don't think I could have told you. Because I don't know. I don't use Twitter. So what what is Twitter for? Well, I didn't know. And then within the last two weeks, you know, there's a bunch of political stuff going on here in town up at the Capitol. We may have heard something about that. You may have heard something about that. And if you actually want to find out what's happening in near real time, you can subscribe to the people who are up there. Oh, really? So you can get updates from places and people? Yeah, including uh, journalism um, students here on campus and also people who work for the local media. Oh, that sounds great. Well, there's a great new technology. Uh, Teresa, do you have any technology you want to talk about of note? Well, I did see an article today that said something about uh, a new Guinness World Record has been broken by Charlie Sheen for having the most followers on Twitter. Yeah, he got a million followers. In the shortest amount of time, a a million followers. Come watch the train wreck. Within a day or something like that. And what a train wreck it is to watch, isn't it? Yes. Well, that's the new media. I mean, and that's the thing is he's trying to control his own message, which is why he's got this Twitter feed so that he can espouse anything that he wants to in his own way, Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool because we get a website and we can do that too. So (laughs) (laughs) anyhow, um, we're going to take us a quick little break here, uh, but we will be back and talk a little bit more about networking, IPv6, and all sorts of other fun stuff with Dale Carter, Teresa, Jesse, and me, Adam, right after this.
And Travis at WSUM 91.7 FM. And we would like to encourage you to respect your neighbor. Remember, a little bit of kindness goes a long way. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. the most connected radio show on the planet you can give us a call 608-515-8768 fire us an email radio at doit.wisk.edu or check out our website at www.doit.wisk.edu forward slash radio and we're here in studio with dale carter and Teresa saldana and jesse my intrepid and faithful co-host and we're here to chat about networking stuff and i know we you were kind of concerned about talking about um, what you do here on the the radio, because as you said, it was a little bit more of the special teams area of networking, Dale. Yeah. But um, what I kind of wanted to go over with you was some of the basic stuff that are really affects our audience. So how you get internet to your house, what that router thing with the antennas does, uh, that sort of thing. So can you just give us a little overview for folks? Because frankly, a third of this country doesn't have high speed internet available to it, which is a sad but true fact and uh but if you do if you are lucky enough to have high-speed internet there's a bunch of different ways that you can get that so uh, can you list some of the ways that people are getting internet these days dale well the most two that everyone's going to be most familiar familiar with is uh, dsl and then of course cable modems and, and i'd say here in town 
the cable modems are probably the more popular of the two. Yeah, and DSL stands for digital subscriber line, but nobody knows that. It's it's basically getting internet over your phone line. What's a phone line? Yeah, but not in the old <laughs> phone line sense. Not not in the back in the day, the Ty's grandpa were using dial-up and have 56K, but we don't really. We only have about 42. Uh, we're talking about DSL, which sort of floats on top of your existing phone line if you still have a regular phone line. Uh, and that's what I use at home personally. But as you said, cable modem is probably the, the most prevalent here in town. But there's other ways that you can get internet too, right? Sure. You know, your cell phone has internet wireless, wirelessly. And now with uh, things like the MiFi and other things, you can use that to use your com- to connect to your computers. And then, of course, you have the m- more esoteric things like satellite connectivity if you live out in the country. And then, you know, for the people who really have nothing else, there still is dial-up. Yeah, and if you have a phone line, you really can get on the Internet, which is kind of a cool concept because pretty much anywhere you have an analog phone, you can get a really bad Internet connection, but I don't know. And those people have no chance of watching Netflix. Not a chance. None whatsoever. So you get this Internet connection. You get a DSL modem or a cable modem. Hopefully your provider gives you that. What do you then do? Because you could plug your computer straight into it. But how interesting would that be? Yeah, you could do that if this were 2005. Yeah, and you only had one computer or one thing in your house that needed internet. Uh, But most likely you're plugging into something known as a router or a wireless router or the base station. Uh, Apple calls it an airport. And can you give us a little overview about what that does in reality so that our our regular listening audience could understand that? Yeah, it basically does two main things. One is you're keeping your internal house or apartment building network separate from the service provider's network. So if you're going to talk to two computers in your house or your media PC or something like that, it doesn't need to go all the way to Chicago and back. Right, it can stay inside your house. Right, so that if you're transferring files from, say, one computer to the other to move your valuable documents so over to another computer, so you got a backup, you don't have to go and go out to the real internet. You just use your local network. Right. And then the second thing they they commonly do now is you know enable the wireless signal. So they take what is on would have been on the wire, put it on the air, and then your computer can pull it down from there. All right. And so the wireless then lets you have laptops, iPod Touch. Um, your Wii, uh, my iPad too. Your i, your new, <laughs> your brand new iPad that doesn't exist yet in reality. Well, it does somewhere, but they're still getting built, sort of. Um, and and but there's perils involved with turning on your wireless, correct? Well, yes and no. It depends how much you truly care about. Are you friends with your neighbors? Yeah, <laughs> I, we. I actually, I am very good friends with my neighbors. So, but I still have a password on my wireless. <laughs> right. Well, it's about giving you know something you're paying for away for free and then also you know you may not have all the security settings set up on your computer and you know just to be safe you know why not let the rest of the world into your computer yeah that's doesn't sound like the best password on there and it's all better yeah nice so uh that gets into the three letter acronyms that everybody loves so much and but you'd recommend probably something in the wpa or wpa2 flavor of security these days pretty much everything should support wpa or wpa2 right and but you know at the end of the day something's better than nothing right as long as you've got a password and joe average driving by on his bicycle whips out his phone and says oh there's a lock on the wireless network so i can't get into that and just moves on to Mm -hmm. your neighbor down the street right and who are the people that might want to do that someone who's looking to do something perhaps nefarious well i could do it from your house and everyone will think it was you all right so once you have this wireless router and you have (laughs) and you have uh some computers hooked up to it 
you're, we were talking a little bit, and we'll have to talk a little bit about this later on, about IPv6, which is sort of the new thing in networking and IP addresses. And I know, can you give us a little rundown of what you would explain as an IP address is? Sure. It's like your street address. So simply uh, say you lived on a street and there couldn't be more than, you know, a thousand houses on your street because you only had a three-digit street address. Right, sure. So that same problem is playing out in the computer world with 32-bit versus 128-bit addresses. So there's a a certain number of addresses, which I think is either in the tens or hundreds of millions of IPs, known as IPv4, that space, which is now gone. About two or three weeks ago, they gave away the last big chunks of it. And so now we're going to be moving into this new thing, IPv6. And like I said, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But one of the things that a router does is it basically lets your home network look like just one IP address out in the real world internet, correct? Yep. It's for two reasons. One is there is, you know, the security aspect of it, you know, keeping your internal network internal. And two, it's cheaper for the service provider. So, I mean, I'm I'm not sure how much you really care about their costs, but they can keep them down by only having to support one address on their end and not all of you, all of Adam's you know, 16 uh, PCs in his home network. It's not quite that many yet. I only have about five machines, but they're all wired. That's the sad oh. part. I know I, I actually pulled a bunch of Cat5 through my house. So wired or wireless, folks, what's better? Well, if uh, I was wired like your place, I wouldn't want it at all because wireless <laughs> would be faster. Um, because I would use Cat5e personally as a, at a minimum. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's I pulled new Cat5 through my house. There is a difference between Cat5 and Cat5e. Oh, Cat5 enhanced. Well, we can't use... And the Cat6 is much fatter cable, so that's a lot harder to actually You should pull. see 7. Is there a yep. Cat7 cable? Yeah, it's coming yep. out. Really? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been nasty. <laughs> so does anyone want to explain the difference between all of these? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, Jesse probably knows, or Dale knows probably. Well, He's our expert. I'm sure Dale does know. Yeah, essentially it's just how much bandwidth can you cram down the cable. Uh, inside it, you know, they have uh, eight copper wires, and they're twisted inside of them, and sometimes with Cat7 now there's going to be a shield in there. So it's just, you know, how much bandwidth can you pump down before you have interference inside the cable itself? Mm-hmm. So these cat really means category. So category 5. 5E is E enhanced. Right. So that's the idea. And cat 5E is sort of the de facto standard right now because it supports up to gigabit, or does it support 10 gigabit Ethernet? I don't think it supports yeah, 10 So gigabit Ethernet, which is pretty much the fastest uh, networking protocol that's available to, like, the general public. Um, and you can go out and buy at your local retailer gigabit switches and stuff. So um, that's that's kind of the, the fastest thing going. And as we were talking about last week, the new Thunderbolt connection is 10 times as fast as that. So it's, yeah, Jesse's making faces at me saying, oh, my God, it's not that fast. I don't really care. But it, it's pretty fast. It's pretty fast, yeah. And, and it's good to have fast interconnects. So, um, so do you want to talk a little bit about IPv6 and what's going on with that and, and why that's going to become more relevant in our lives here, Dale? Yeah, you know, it's starting to get some press now. If you read some of the tech news, like if you live on it all day long, like Jesse does, You've kind of seen these articles coming Jesse in. Jesse doesn't it. have any friends. <laughs> oh, stop. Oh, wow. Jesse that's, not only has that's friends, he's getting married soon. So. so that you know, that's probably why you know you, you heard about it to have me here today. You know, starting <laughs> to get some press. But all of this was really developed and thought about 15 years ago. Right. And so uh, let me just sort of say, do you, does everybody remember Y2K? 
and the big oh yeah oh yeah right <clears throat> and the meltdown that this ensued because of y2k i i would liken this as sort of that kind of a change except that it was appropriately planned for and people did not panic it and was appropriately planned for that's I, the best part i know and so what there's a lot of tools that have been put in place to ease this transition between the v4 and the v6 world correct no no <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh, you know Wrong. you couldn't make this up yeah so, so they everyone had done all the research and they said, you know, how we used to do things on IPv4 was great in the 70s and 80s. And they said, well, here we have this blank slate opportunity. It's 1993. The Internet's just starting. This is back to 93? Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, they already knew by then, you know, 30, 32-bit space was going to run out. And it was really before NAT as, as well. I don't want to go too much into that. But, but the, the, before the Internet was really big, because 1993, I will date myself, I was a freshman in high school, and I was still using dial-up modems from my high school. So that, that was the Internet as I knew it, and logging on to VMS uh, through the university sure. and telnetting and all that stuff for, again, all you people who have been around for this long. Um, but that's really way before the internet was the big hot thing that and it is today. And that's why they thought they could get away with a blank slate approach. Right. And that's probably a good thing because usually in technology, it's best not to try and fix things when you need to do a major change. It's best to start over. And it seemed perfectly reasonable. We could just run the two at the same time. We'll take it. We'll take 10 years to convert from one to the other and no one will ever notice. Yeah. And how is that working out for us? That's 2011. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're about eight years late. And, yeah. But but we just ran out of addresses and I haven't heard any really major catastrophes happening because of that. No, it's interesting. So who this is going to affect is Internet service providers who are bringing on new customers. Because everyone who already is a customer already has their address. So mm -hmm. for your home modem, you know, you're know you set. And you know what? Most of the U.S. is wired for as much as it's going to be wired for now. Sure. The issue is what's new. All these portable devices. Mm -hmm. So every one of these now has to have an address. So And not necessarily every new iPhone or BlackBerry or Android can support IPv6 yeah, currently. Not, not even. Now, look outside the U.S. and you have major markets that are just now getting the Internet. Right. India, it's true. China. It's true. That's where all the growth is going to be. Mm, so because they're using devices which are a couple of years behind us, probably, for cost reasons. No, not necessarily, but just the growth there is so large. So what, you know, the, the fear is there will be this IPv4 address space. And there'll be this IPv6 address space. And it might end mm -hmm. up like the metric and imperial system <laughs> where the U.S. will stay on the old one and the rest of the world will do the new thing. Sure. Yeah. Well, we are still using English units here, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yeah. Great for that. All right, folks. Well, we're going to take us a little break and uh, we're going to come back shortly right after this, in fact. Let's 
Hey everybody, welcome back to Do It Live, the most connected radio show on the planet. And uh, with us in studio we have... Dale Carter. Hey, Dale Carter from Do It Networking and... Teresa Saldana. Oh, it's Teresa. The lovely Teresa's in here from Do It Repair and Desktop Support along with Jesse. Who and has no friends. Who ha No, you have friends. I did not say that. I, I know you have friends because I... It doesn't I, count if all of his friends are computers. <laughs> We've got more than it computers. It is. They're sentient. Anyway, we'd also... Oh, we're getting burns everywhere in the studio here today. <laughs> so uh, the other gentleman, we want to kind of switch gears here and bring Paul Broadhead in. He's from the Wisconsin Union, and I know it's very relevant to our lives because we all live right next door to the Union at the Computer Science Building, um, but maybe other people don't know exactly that there's a new Union South opening up. Isn't that right, Paul? So uh, there always was uh, the Union South was here for many years from the early 70s, and there was a decision made uh, at one point that it just wasn't keeping pace with what the students and what the campus community needed. We spent uh, uh, spent over a year planning and designing and and dreaming, and now we're just coming up on completion of the construction process. Yeah, you've got about less than a well, a little bit more than a month to go before you actually open this new building, right? It is, yes. It's pretty exciting. I mean, inside, uh, most of the construction is done. We're doing a lot of the uh, the finishes, the punch listing. Uh, furniture delivery started a couple of weeks ago, so the hotel furniture is here. A lot of the big furniture uh, shows up the following week. So we're really getting to the point of looking like a, a student union inside, so we're excited. And you had, um, in the previous Union South, you did have rooms. I'm not sure mm -hmm. if you'd consider it still a, the same kind of hotel um, that you will have now. How does it compare? I would think that uh, for folks who are going to stay in there, they're going to like these a lot better. <laughs> so there were 14 guest rooms in the in the uh, old Union. And, you know, they were, they were serviceable, nice, uh, uh, basic guest rooms. I think the, there'll be 60 guest rooms in the, in the new hotel. 56 of which are uh, standard hotel rooms, either king beds or double queen beds. Four of them are extended stay, so they're geared with, which means they have a small kitchenette. We've geared them for researchers or other folks that are coming for longer periods of time on campus. So there, it's the, the I think the way we describe the hotel is it's a boutique hotel. Uh, it's not going to have uh, room service and, and uh, laundry service and such things, but well-appointed. Uh, lots of uh, fun colors and lots of very, it's a very university hotel. And one thing that I've actually heard a lot of questions about, because mm -hmm. the old Union South had a bowling alley. Yes. Now, will the new Union South have a bowling alley? Absolutely. We have uh, the the set complex, which we, we talked about a little bit beforehand, is, uh, and the set is, is our recreation zone for the facility. And the a set, for those people who don't know Old English, is uh, Badger Den. In That's S-E-T-T, correct? Yes, sir. S-E-T-T. Uh, and it means a Badger Den with multiple places, multiple levels, multiple little burrows. And so it is a three-level uh, venue. Uh, the first level has the food. It's a food area very similar to the Raskeller and Feel. But the lower level, the lower set, if you will, is where the recreation center sits. And we have eight bowling lanes up the, in there. It is uh, so it's the same size of bowling. Uh, we have uh, billiards tables. We'll have um, some table games like either air hockey or shuffle puck or some of those types of things. And then uh, the climbing wall. There's a 28-foot climbing wall that, that starts in the recreation center what? as well. It's like a two-and-a-half-story tall, three-story tall climbing wall? It's, it's a little over two-and-a-half stories, yeah. Wow. It'll be fun. And the hoofers will be involved in that process along with our recreation center staff. 
And I understand that you also have a brand new cinema space as well that you're opening? We do. The Marquee is the, the formal name. It's a 350-seat theater, uh, primarily focused on film. Uh, we're viewing it as the home for film on campus. It is uh, a state-of-the-art, it's a beautiful facility. When you walk in, when you walk in your South in general, I think that people really will be pleased with the, the detail uh, the wood, the stone. It's a very, we really try to build a, a venue that is inviting and people will come and want to stay there because this really should be the the place where students, any any student or any member of the campus community can come be comfortable. But the, the film theater in particular has got some wonderful wood walls and lots of soft colors, And uh, but it's state of the art. Uh, we'll have a 12,000 lumen uh, three chip projector in there, uh, just like you would see in the, the big cinemaplexes. Digital projector. Digital projector, absolutely. We'll also have two 35 millimeter projectors as well for the old school folks who want the, the film print. And there'll be satellite capabilities so we can take the feeds from wherever and put them on the, through the system. So we're pretty excited about it. So, and you have student employees who learn how to run and actually run shows all throughout the year on this very new state-of-the-art equipment. Absolutely. No, we are the the union in general. Our, our back, our, really, our philosophy is is giving opportunities for student employees. So, we'll have um, really one or two techs whose primary job it is to full-time staff who will teach the students how to uh, mix live sound, run conference support, or uh, even though we've got the same thing from the theater side, we've got uh, one staff person that teaches all of our students how to basically run uh, theatrical productions. Most of the employees are students for our setups and for our food service operation and uh, across the board. That's really uh, the backbone of, of the union. You know, one of the things actually while we're talking, one of the space I've mentioned is Varsity Hall. And Varsity Hall is uh, really one of the big reasons uh, for this venue. It's a uh, it's a twelve and a half thousand square foot uh, multi-purpose ballroom, uh, and it is it opens up and expands a little bit. And when the doors open up, everything opens up, and it, it makes a large uh, catering and or conference venue. Uh, we can seat a thousand people in a catered uh, dinner there. Uh, we can put fifteen hundred people in there for a lecture. Uh, but it's built with a lot of capability. We've got the company switch 400, 200 power, so we can we can put shows in. I've got 54 rig points spread throughout the the ceiling grid. Actually, we have an opening concert. I was going to say I, I heard something about a band maybe called Of Montreal, who's going to yes, be playing. Yes, they will be our opening concert. Pretty exciting. On April fifteenth, along with the Battle of Bands winner. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for putting that plug in for. We appreciate that. Absolutely. So, in addition, for the conference needs, uh, we've we host a lot of fairs, a lot of student fairs, and a lot of conference fairs. So there are floor boxes spread throughout the space. It's subdividable into three different venues: floor boxes with two hundred eight power and video and and uh, and telephony, all the, all the things you would need for a uh, hosting either a trade show or fair or conference. We host, the union uh, Union itself hosts 28,000 events annually around campus. What? Yeah. And when really? This, really. When this building opens, it'll be between thirty and 35,000 events annually. Holy so. cow. So when Union South, the old Union South was open, we were hosting right around 28,000. So when it closed, we were trying to make accommodations for how to go down a little bit. It went down the first year by about a thousand reservations so we've been jamming people in all over campus so thank you to all of our partners on campus the engineering <laughs> folks and the do it folks and everyone else who helped us provide spaces for student orgs 
well, the union is an integral part of campus, so I'm sure everybody involved is, is very understanding and happy to help you with that. I, I tell you what, uh, this has been a fun exercise. You know, that when, when I, I've only been here five years. One of the first things that I had to do was find homes for a lot of the longstanding programs that the union sponsored, other campus uh, entities have sponsored during the interim. And we had to find a new home for Badger Bash. And so folks were willing to let us use Engineering Mall for that. And we had to find homes for all the ballroom dance folks on campus, which is a... We host about 20-some ballroom dance events weekly over there. Who knew? But uh, we are the home of ballroom dance on uh, in the city or on campus. So, you know, there's lots of different groups that need space. You know, the the, the table tennis folks needed space. You know, the uh, martial arts. I mean, every, all these folks needed spaces that have been taking a while and a lot of cooperation from folks on campus uh, to accommodate. So we've been very pleased with the, the cooperation we've had. So are there any particular pieces of technology that are new and cool or particularly exciting to you that's coming online with this new union? We've got a, a, a cool um, system called the, a Mediascape system. And a Mediascape really is a collaborative place where it's, it's a built-in table with a large flat screen panel and you connect it to the VGA output of your laptop. So you can have four different people that are working on a project together and by whoever touches the 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 I think it's called the puck in front of them, their display goes up on the screen. So you can have people that are collaborating on systems together. That's kind of what fun. What a neat idea. It's kinda of like a Microsoft Surface, but something that you use with your own computer. I'll take your word for it. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually right in the coffee house in, in Prairie Fire, which is the, the coffee house. So that'll be a a great location for a lot of collaborative spaces. And I've had a little bit of a sneak preview. You also have a gorgeous fireplace and foyer area just as you come in on mm -hmm. into the Union South. We should talk about some of the fun spaces. Absolutely. You know, the, the building, as I mentioned earlier, is, is designed to be a place where people want to congregate. They want to hang out. Uh, there's going to be, as with always in the unions, lots of artwork on the walls. We have a large permanent art collection that will be around. Uh, but we've got some great restaurants. Uh, we've got Prairie Fire, which is a coffee house and wine bar. It's a Pete's Coffee. We probably brew, so they'll be off serving Pete's Coffee, and there'll be an actual wine bar that's a part of it as well. So we get you before five and after five conversations. Uh, we have three uh, restaurants. Uh, we've got an Urban Slice, which is a New York-style pizzeria. Harvest Grains, which is um, an oven-baked... Hot sandwiches. Hot sandwiches, paninis, that sort of thing. Absolutely great food. We had some good food testings. People love those items. And Ginger Root, which is uh, an Asian concept. In addition, we've got a, a market, which is like a convenience store, but has fresh salads and, and things that are in there as well. You're making me very hungry. We've been culinarily deprived on this yes. end of campus for a little while. I know. Believe me, we've felt bad about that, but we're coming back with a vengeance. <laughs> and even I mentioned the set, that will have a, a pub food similar to the Rascaler, you know, burgers and all that good stuff, the, the stuff that's really good for you. <laughs> but they're actually, it's not a food court. They're actually restaurants. So they're small restaurants, which then connect on to a larger seating area, which is the Sun Garden, which has... Uh, stone fireplace that will be covered by an interesting uh, percent for art project. Uh, and then the other cool little feature I'll mention is that we have a water feature uh, in the back on the south. It's next to your water feature on the south plaza that is uh, was designed and installed by a young alum named Peter Blanker. He's only been out a few years. Some people see water features as big waterfalls and big splashing and loud. It's more of a babbling brook and it, it's got a multiple level kind of curves around and cuts across the back. Uh, but all the water from that water feature is actually harvested from the roof. So we capture it in a cistern underground, and then we pump it in the water feature. So there's no, we aren't pumping city water in there. We're actually reusing the water from the building. 
So is there anything, um, especially when you get a building rebuilt, there will be something from the old building that mm -hmm. actually is in the new building? Will there be anything noticeable if you walk into this new Union South? They'll actually see that was actually from the old building. The, a lot of the metal that was used by Jill Sebastian and the art pieces came from the old building. She recycled some of the metal and melted it down and reforged it. Uh, we have the tables in the set are, if you recognize the tables from Einstein's, the old butcher block tables, but they've been redone and uh, stained very black, uh, very dark to match the atmosphere. But And our the one thing I'll mention that I probably should have mentioned earlier that uh, people always enjoy is this is a very green building. Uh, we are currently tracking to be a lead gold building. That's really impressive. Because of the multi-use, because we have lots of food service with multiple fans and different systems, it's been very challenging to get to that point. But uh, it, it really, it's, it's tracked through. We're, we're at 40, sitting at 40 points, and we've been there for a little while, so we're hopeful when we go through the review process, it'll still track gold. From a standard building, we're 42% more efficient. For our water consumption, we're close to 30% less or more efficient. We've, uh, on our recycling, we've recycled 85% of the waste from the old building and through the entire construction process. Wow. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with that. There's a green roof on the building. All, almost all of the office furniture is, is actually reconditioned. We decided not to buy new furniture. We tried to buy reconditioned. Uh, one, to be sensitive to the budget, be good stewards with the students' money, but also because we wanted to make a statement. So we did that. So is there a, a good location right now to get... Um, updated information about the Union, its construction, and what's going to be in the building? Absolutely. You can go to the Union website, newunion.wisc.edu, uh, or you can go to the Union website. It's all on there. And obviously the last thing I'll mention is that April 15th is our grand opening. Uh, and it, uh, We obviously are going to encourage folks to come out. There's going to be a, a substantial ribbon-cutting ceremony. Uh, uh, Chancellor Martin will be there as a keynote speaker, and there'll be another other folks from that were part of the project. Uh, ceremonial stuff will be kept to a, a minimum more for really celebrating, but there'll be a lot of things throughout the first week. Uh, the first show is that night. Uh, there's going to be a, I'll call it a, a miniature badger bash on the Saturday. Uh, so we're just going to try to give people different different places and different opportunities to, to taste. But there'll be movies going on the first weekend. There'll be all sorts of fun things uh, happening. So all the, the entire schedule is on the website, so it's enjoyable. Paul Broadhead, thanks for coming in and chatting with us. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Boy, that's all the time we have left for today. Uh, we'd like to give special thanks to our management team at the Division of Information Technology, Perry Brunelli, Edward Hoover, Brian Kister, Jack Leepak, Ty Leto, Neil Mack, Howie Mead, Mark Nessel, Brian Rust, and Bill Zimmerman. The Director of User Services is Kathy O'Brien. Dewitt's Chief Operating Officer is John Krogman. And our Interim CIO and Vice Provost for Information Technology is Joanne Berg. Today's broadcast was produced by Sandy Cyrillic and Adam Wiesenfarth. Our associate producers are Ty Christian and Laura Grady, with assistance from Dan Collins, Matthew Siriani, and the Nates, Harrison Weber, and Zastro. Our on-air producer and director of e-communications is Matt Rockwell, and our theme music is from Conan. The executive producer of Do It Live is Jesse LeGrew. Next week, we're talking to the help desk. You got your sick computer? Well, hopefully you can wait till next week, and then we'll be able to chat with you about that. We'll see you later. Have a good week. We'll see you next Thursday at 2. In a beautiful house. With a beautiful wife.